Welcome to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves, a licensed professional counselor that owns a group practice here in Atlanta, Georgia. I specialize in women's issues as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll be talking motherhood, womanhood, and a little bit of everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. Hi guys, welcome back for season four of the Push Through Podcast. Um, I took a couple of weeks off from recording. The last episode was with Hyacinth, and from there, I kind of just uh, adjusted to life, got some things in order, um, just kind of set myself up because I had a lot going on. Um, So a couple of life updates. Since we last chatted, both of my kids are in school now, so they've been out of school since the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. Um, So my son is now in pre-K and he goes to school um, in South, South East Atlanta. And um, so he started pre-K in June. And at that same time, the first week of June, um, my one-year-old also started daycare. And remember, I had my one-year-old during the pandemic. So he has really only been exposed to us and a small group of friends and a small number of family members and that's it so the first week of june had a lot of anxiety because it was about how are they going to adjust um and it's crazy and maybe I'm, i'm just speaking from my own personal experience but although they were in the house and they had someone that was taking care of them in the house while i was working because i work from home um it's still kind of like i'm around um like i still can monitor them i'm still accessible I get done with work, I just walk upstairs. Um, Versus when they are in school and they're not within your eyesight or within your reach and they are exposed to so much more, you know, it's it's kids and it's different teachers and their own stuff and all of that. And in one instance, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for them to have some socialization. But in another instance, it's like your kid is older now, they can talk and they are interacting with other kids who can talk and that's when, you know, stuff starts starts to evolve as how they socialize. And, and my son was just talking about, Mom, this girl at school today told me that she didn't like my shoes. And, you know, kind of preparing them and dealing with all of that. And it's like, okay, so you don't like your shoes. You like your shoes? Yes. Okay, then you good. Like, you don't, you know, who cares what her opinion is, basically. Um, preparing for that and not having to really, like, deal with that before and then also just hoping that they're treated well and you know asking questions what did you do today how did it go but also trying to encourage them and teach them how this is school and playtime is for playtime and learning is for learning and then with my one-year-old his immune system was basically you know only based off of what he was exposed to within our household so By the second week, he had strep throat, which then passed to my oldest as much as I tried to separate them, which passed through all of us. And we're just in the house. And I'm so grateful for my mother who was able to come up and help because I had to readjust my schedule and just put some things in place. And my oldest bounced back fairly quickly. 
Um, my youngest, it took him about like a, a week and some days to adjust. And even since then, he's now even gotten another cold and he has his cough. And I took him to the doctor yesterday. And I know that all of this is normal because they are getting their immune systems built up and they're exposed to other kids and, and all of that stuff. But it still kind of just sucks to see them not be themselves and have a cough and runny nose and not feel well. So helping them cope with that and trying to be there for them while also managing work and everything else. <laughs> um, so that's that's what's going on with the personal life. And then also I'm really looking forward to July because July has a lot of good stuff. Um, we're going to go tubing one weekend. We're going on vacation at the end of the year. At the end of the year. We're going on vacation <laughs> um, at some point. We are also um, gonna have a date night at another point, going to an art show at another point. Um, so I'm just super excited about all of that, of just um, being able to change up the routine and do some things that I really love and um, not be so bound to the to-do list. Um, I always preach about self-care and I try to make all women that I encounter be aware of the fact that Self-care doesn't always look like getting your nails done or getting your facials. Sometimes that can feel like a task, um, but self-care is whatever you feel like fuels you. And lately, I have definitely been fueled by writing. I've definitely tapped back into my passion for creative writing. Um, I hired a writing coach who's been so helpful. I had mentioned several times before that I was working on my memoir, and I am hopeful to have it completed by next year. Um, so just being insightful about that and working through that, having a playlist to kind of go and go along with it for myself. Cause you know, I love music and different songs help me to reminisce and put me in the mind space to really reflect back. And fortunately I've always been a journaler. So I always kept all of my journals throughout middle school, high school, college, and beyond. So I'll be diving into those soon and I am not looking forward to what I was thinking when I was 18. God help me. We'll see. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, um, I'm getting my guitar fixed and hopefully I'll be starting guitar lessons soon. Um, I used to be able to be fairly okay with it. I used to could play the Star Spangled Banner um, but it's been so long since I've read music, played music. I played trumpet when I was in school. I was in the band um, and I also was self-talk with piano. I could play piano by ear. Um, so music, like I said so many times, is, is huge for me. And I'll be glad to tap back into that. And I'm also looking forward to getting my kids into playing piano um, just to see if they'll enjoy it or like it. And if they don't, that's fine. Um, but my youngest loves music. I mean, you can put on anything and Ellis will throw that arm up and start like getting it that he loves any type of beat. And I've also been thinking about fine arts. This is weird. And I'm still kind of sitting on it and processing it because I've I almost like gotten an art degree as like a, ma a minor when I was an undergrad. I've loved sketching, drawing, painting, 
Um, there was once when I wanted to go to SCAD in Savannah, but SCAD is super expensive. So I didn't. Um, and then I kind of just fell off of it amongst other things and trying to find the space. Like sometimes it's easier to find the space to write because you can kind of write anywhere. You can write in your tab tablet, you can write in your laptop, you can write in your journal on paper, but to have the space to, at least for me, pull out a sketch pad, have the pencil, um, feel inspired and to just like draw or sketch or paint on a canvas on an easel, take some preparation. So I have been thinking like, oh, what if I took some art classes? What if I got a degree in fine arts? I don't know. <laughs> like if I just went back to school and started doing fine arts, I don't know. I would love to learn some more, more about art history um, and just explore some more museums. Now that things are opening up, I do want to get more inspired with art, take an art class somehow. It's weird because I don't live in the city of Atlanta. I'm in the rural parts that is like the, the I'd say the rural parts. It feels like the rural parts. I'm in the suburbs, far away from everybody. And I just feel like our resources, man, it's just not the same. And I would do like paint by numbers, but I feel like my skills are a little bit advanced than that. So I don't know. I'll keep you posted. So that's what's been going on life-wise. Um, I am also reading. I took a little bit of break from reading about a month or two because things got busy. Um, but I picked it back up because reading also helps me check out. And it kind of keeps those creative juices flowing. So I'm reading Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. Um, it's gotten rave reviews and I'm going to read a little bit about what it's about. Um, so Eva Mercy is a single mom and best-selling erotica writer who is feeling pressed from all sides. Shane Hall is a reclusive, enigmatic, award-winning novelist who, to everyone's surprise, shows up in New York. When Shane and Eva meet unexpectedly at a literary event, sparks fly, raising not only their buried traumas, but the eyebrows of the black literati. What no one knows is that 15 years earlier, teenage Eva and Shane spent one crazy tort week madly in love. While they may be pretending not to know each other, they can't deny their chemistry or the fact that they've been secretly writing to each other in their books through the years. Over the next seven days amidst a steamy Brooklyn summer, Eva and Shane reconnect. But Eva's weary of the man who broke her heart and wants him out of the city so her life can return to normal. Before Shane disappears, though, she needs a few questions answered. I am super excited about this because I'm a sucker for a romance love story. And um, there was one that came out during the, the pandemic, Syl Sylvie's Love on Amazon um, with Kerry Washington's husband. I cannot think of his name. And um, Tessa Mae Thompson. And I liked it. Like, it was kind of slow, but it was jazzy, cute costumes. They look great. I love the love story. I love how they reconnected, the chemistry, all of it. So I love a good love story. I love the movie Love Jones. I love the movie Have Plenty. I love Love and Basketball. Um, and what other better way to kind of check out from life than a good book? So I will keep you posted. I also watched the Mary J. Blige documentary. I would love to know what you guys think about it.
something that she said, well, circling back. So, you know, I love music. I think Mary J is like one of the goats and she just is very relatable, which is some ways sad because so many black women identify with her struggle and love and abuse and trauma. And that's sad to say, but it's also wonderful to be able to, for someone like her to have an outlet of where to put that pain and for it to also inspire other people and help people get through what they're going through. And I felt like that showed up a lot throughout the documentary. I went in with the expectations. I don't know why I did, but I did. That it was going to go a little bit deeper or that I was going to learn things that I didn't already know. Most of what they captured, I had already known, known, known or some of the interviews that they had, I'd already seen before. Um, but my first thought of her was that she looked amazing. And if that's what looking like an auntie when you're approaching 50 looks like, then please sign me up. Where can I go to write my name down? Because I want to age just like that. And I even remember when she performed at that Lakewood concert um, in Atlanta. And it was for the 20, 20th or 25th anniversary of the My Life album. I was there. Nas was performing before her and it was like the beginning stages of my pregnancy and it reminded me of how many songs Mary J has and then I had like not long before that I had watched her interview on the breakfast club she was talking about her divorce and how it left her feeling and how she just loved this man so much she considered um being okay with him having another woman. She just wanted him that bad or how her depression had led her to suicidal thoughts at times. She was just really, really low. And I remember Angela Yee was trying to encourage her to have counseling and to see a therapist. And I thought maybe that would come up in the documentary, but it didn't. And I don't know if she ever did or if she didn't, but I know Taraji P. Henson was in the documentary. And it made me wonder... Is Taraji going to play her in a biopic? <laughs> Which I could see it because I, I totally could see her, especially, you know, with Taraji playing Cookie and all of that. But um, what she said in the documentary that really stuck out to me in her explaining how she felt in the relationship she was in when she made the My Life album. She said, I'm going to dumb myself all the way down so I don't think I'm special just so I can be with you. And I wrote it down because, you know, at the, the core of all of that is self-worth. Like, let me devalue myself so that I can be able to accept what it is that you're offering me. And that just really resonated because, of course, in the work that I do, there's a lot of women that I work with who feel as if they do have to settle or they do have to deal with craps. Because they want this person so bad in whatever it is they have to do to themselves to accommodate the relationship or make it as successful, quote unquote, successful as it can be, then they'll do it. And a lot of times it's compromising who they are, what they really want, what they really want to deal with for the sake of having them. And it's, it's definitely sad, but it definitely it takes a minute for us to look at our society um, looks at us as far as like what women have to go through. Cause you don't often hear men saying, 
Um, yeah, I'm going to dumb myself down so I can just be with this woman. Or this the man saying, yeah, you know, let me settle settle for this, this woman. I don't want to be with this person, but, you know, maybe this is the best I can get. I'll just settle for that. It, it's not. Like, I, I will say I feel like sometimes, not all situations, we're speaking very generally, men can have different types of standards and really hold to them and... I just think that there's a lot of work to be done in our media, in our society, and even how we raise our girls or how we show up as friends so that we're always just encouraging each other and really pouring into our worth that we know there are a trillion humans in this world. And out of those trillions, there is statistically speaking someone that will be able to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated, to see your worth for just as who you are, just as your authentic self, and, and not in a way that you will have to change yourself, not in a way where you have to dumb yourself down, you have to be somebody else, you have to look like somebody, you have to get this work done, you gotta change this, gotta put this on, gotta talk like this, gotta go here. You don't have to do any of that, but just be your biological self, and that person will love you to pieces for it. And they will be able to reciprocate back to you what you put into them. And and they exist. Statistically speaking, this person exists. <laughs> they may not be in your geographical region today. Um, they may not be on your radar tomorrow. But they're there somewhere. And then it's also, apart from living for the sake of, of feeling validated by someone else, most importantly, being able to validate yourself. And most importantly, being able to say, this ain't for me, I'm good. <laughs> I'd rather just be alone than to have to dumb myself down or then to have to feel um, like I have to be on the back burner or accept um, verbal abuse or any type of abuse at all because you deserve so much more and you can be able to love yourself enough where the scraps that they give you are meaningless and they can keep it. Um, that was a huge takeaway for me from the show is just kind of acknowledging that there's some work to be done. And I don't know how you feel, but I just, in a lot of ways, I feel like women, specifically black women, um, I feel like it's just been really difficult for us as of late. Um, listening to everything of, of negativity around all of these Olympic win champions, um, that are going in and people having comments about their physical appearance um, or just negativity around women and how they present themselves out in public or this is what you need to do to be have value or quality or how you need to get a man or this, you know, blah, 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 blah. It is just so like, can we just be ourselves and be loved? Can I just show up as me and be embraced? Can I feel protected? Can I just have a baby and feel like I'm going to live? You know, um, I, I definitely feel the weight of that. And it is it is so frustration. I had a conversation with a friend of my husband um, who is a male and he was sharing like some of his thoughts and ideologies. And I had that conversation, which was a huge debate, to say the least. And then went into the Mary J. Blige documentary. And afterwards, I was just like, oh, my God, I just I can't. I can't. <laughs> Something that my son says is um, I don't. He says that. 
And so we like play me and my husband with each other with um, saying, I don't, I don't. Like I'll tell Ezra, I'll be like, if you don't stop doing that, you're going to have to go to timeout. And he'll be like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> and he'll like, he's, he's shorting it, meaning like, I don't want to go to timeout, but he just says, I don't. And so now I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to continue to listen to this negative rhetoric about women. And I choose to not allow it to be in my atmosphere. I am for uplifting and empowering women as they are and who they are and just being able to kick out any toxicity as much as possible. I don't hold space for it. I don't embrace it. It is despicable and enough. Moving on. Um, So the other thing that I watched was Master of None Season 3. If you subscribe to my newsletter, um, which you should, you can go to my website at pushthroughmom.com and subscribe. You can go to my um, group practice website at keisharees.com and subscribe. Or I'll put a link in the bio and subscribe. But please do because I list all of what I am listening to, what I am reading Um, what I have coming up, what sales, merchandise, everything that's going on in the push through headquarters world is in the newsletter. So if you want to be in the know, please click and subscribe. I don't bombard you with emails. You just get a little brief one once a month, (laughs) once a week, actually once a week. Sorry. Um, But anyway, so I watched this season three of it and I went into it not knowing anything of what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to be about. I knew that it was focusing on Lena Waite. I knew that because I knew Aziz was taking a time off from being the center of the show because of some controversy that he had had. And I also remember in an interview Aziz was saying that he didn't feel like he had anything to offer as far as like for writing right now pertaining to the character. And he was just going to wait until something moved him. So when I saw season three come up, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And again, like I literally pressed play not knowing what the season was about. I knew it was five episodes. And as I was going into it, I love the film quality. It reminded me a lot of Queen and Slim, like visually how it looked. So it was very artfully done, beautiful. And the first thing that hit me within like the first 15 minutes of the show, it's like, oh my God, this is my life. This is how I want to live. They live in this cute cottage. Um, It looked like it would be like in the countryside of England, Um, but I think it was in upstate New York and it was so, so cute. Like it was a nice rustic cottage that had all of this beautiful black art on the wall and it was cozy and quaint. And um, Lena's, Denise is her character's name, girlfriend, um, went run, or wife rather, went running um, along the trails early in the morning. And there was all this antique furniture and they hosted dinner parties and had wine. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I love it. Like, this is what I want. Yes. (laughs) So like when I retire, or even if I could get a property like that on the side, Like a year or two from now, I would be in bliss and just write and run, ride my bike and be in peace in namaste. But um, overall, I thought it was very, very good. I actually liked it better than Aziz seasons and I loved Master of None. Um, But how it kind of hit home for me unexpectedly was that it was so much talk, of course, on just like their relationship as a married couple, um, infidelity, 
honesty, but the basis of it was around infertility. And Denise's wife, I don't know why I can't think of her name right now, um, wanted to have a baby. And they are a lesbian couple. So they had a person that they were friends with who was a sperm donor. And I'm not going to give away the plot, but she ended up learning that conception naturally was a challenge. Um, and naturally, as in being able to do an at-home way of um, conceiving. And something that I didn't know that I had learned. Um, and shout out to cofertility.com. Um, there's a lot of websites out there that really give you a lot of information on infertility. And there's just like not so many that's just like in your face. Um, but when I watched the episode... I had always assumed if you had a sperm donor that you needed to be in a medical practice to have an IUI. The IUI is basically where they take like a turkey baster. Uh, you've seen it in like the Jennifer Lopez movie, Backup Plan, or um, there's a Jennifer Aniston movie with Jason Bateman. I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, where the mom is like sitting up and the doctor like takes his turkey baster and she like sits there and waits or whatever. So I always thought you had to do that at the doctor's office. But apparently... There is an IUI at home kit. Um, so you can have somebody who can donate the sperm and then you can be able to insert it inside of you without actually having the consensual sex and then be able to get pregnant. Who knew? I didn't. I didn't. And I actually work with clients who deal with infertility. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's called artificial insemination um, versus IUI. And I'm going to put that article in the link. Um, there's some con controversy about it, like is at-home IUI safe um, or not, but it was done in the show. So anyway, so after that, she eventually learned that she had to go through IVF. And what really stuck out was um, I'm gathering currently a lot of research on black maternal mental health because I'm going to be doing some continuing education trainings in 20. 22 and there's not a lot of data out there um, within the lgbtqi community in maternal mental health specifically around infertility and in the film she is trying to figure out the costs now the the lower end of of ivf is like forty five thousand. okay and there's a lot of things and components around that as far as like medications and egg retrievals and implantations and genetic testing and testing the sperm and where you're getting the sperm and all of that stuff. So a lot of insurance companies um, require that they are able to see that there's evidence that you are not able to conceive naturally. Now, like, it's crazy that they would, but because like, who would just say like, oh, I want to go through IVF versus doing, you know, conceiving naturally, like, Whatever, like obviously if you show up for IVF, you can't conceive naturally, but insurance companies are on some other stuff. So um, she was saying in the episode, like how can I be able to prove that evidence? I'm not in a heterosexual relationship. And the doctor was explaining like, you know, I, I completely understand. Like I don't, I don't know, like these are the options that we have, but they, they would need to have proof in order for them to have any type of coverage. And they were basically showing how there is a lot of obstacles, um, lack of support or resources 
for those that are in the LGBT community who are trying to conceive via IVF and so many difficulties with that. Um, and like I said, and it's also very expensive. And even if you were to be, um, let's say that you were uh, identified as heterosexual, but you were just a single woman who wanted to go through IVF and maybe you had gotten a, sp a sperm donor from some sort of bank of some such, um, there's even obstacles for that because like, how could you necessarily prove that you couldn't conceive naturally? Like if you just hadn't been in a relationship or you hadn't met anybody, um, you'd been single for the past 10 years and you looked up and noticed that you were 39 and you wanted to have a baby. So you said, okay, let me buy some sperm and let me go through IVF. And then there's all of these additional obstacles to have to go through. And that can be very, very frustrating. So I say all of that to say, I highly, highly encourage you to watch season three. Um, I thought that they did an amazing job. And I also feel like it hasn't gotten as much press as I would assume it would. Maybe I just liked it because of what I do for a living. And it was like, oh my God, this is a gym. Everyone should be talking about this. Um, but I haven't really heard much about it. I haven't heard people really talk about it. Um, but it, it really like, it, it, it took a lot. And I also, what I appreciated about it, um, of course, like, I've had trainings on IUI, IVF, um, learning about just reproductive health in that regard so that I can help my clients. But they really like showed you in the season um, every single step of the way, like how the medication was, how the anxiety was of her waiting in between each appointment to see if her embryos matured, if the genetic testing went through, if the fertilization happened, um, how she felt on the medication, how the implantation went, waiting to hear if she was pregnant or not, like the loneliness of it all, how people told her, you know, like, why do you have to go through all of that? Like that you're going to spend all your money on that? Like, do you, can you even afford to be a mother? For people to like say that or for that negative self-talk, I thought that they did an excellent job. And I actually felt like, let me look this woman's name up. Cause I keep saying, I don't know what the, I don't know what her, her name was. <laughs> um, that was in the show. I felt like, um, the woman who played the wife, her name is, hold on. Let me look it up. Please, please bear with me. Um, the woman who played the wife in the show is Naomi Aki. She is British. Um, I felt like she stole the show. I felt like from episode one, I was like, dang, she can act. Like, I felt like she stole the show. I felt like Lena, you know, kind of continued with her chill demeanor that she typically does in most of the things that she's in. But Naomi acted her ass off. Like, she did an amazing job. So, not to dwell on it too much, but I also say that to set up what season four of the podcast is going to be about. A couple of episodes we're going to be talking about infertility. One of the episodes I'm going to be speaking with Regina Townsend from Broken Brown Egg. Here is a stat. 
that you may not know, black women experience infertility at almost two times the rate of our counterparts. And we are also the ones that are least likely to see treatment as in IVF, IUI, surrogacy, or adoption. And if you haven't already noticed um, on my Instagram, I did an Instagram live with the Kate Foundation, which is started by a black woman who is a doctor who had her own difficulties with infertility. And she created this foundation to award families with grants up to $10,000 to assist them with affording IVF or the medication, helping them fundraise, and also being able to provide um, Pathway to Parenthood, a teaching seminar um, to just learn all of the things that they need to learn about becoming a mother in whatever route that is, um, even with like an adoption attorney, um, legal things that they need to know, legal things surrounding having a surrogate, um, contracts around all of that. And these are things that are free that she's being able to provide, which is an amazing resource. I'm gonna put that in the show notes. So we're talking to Regina and we're also talking to my family portraits photographer, Sophia Barrett, who you'll listen to at the episode because we've, we've done these interviews already. They're pre-recorded. Um, Sophia's episode like blew my mind. Um, she talked about her own difficulties with infertility and how um, she found her way to adoption um, and how getting that diagnosis sat with her and what that meant to her as a black woman. And I just, I know that this platform push through mom, we often talk about, you know, giving birth and being in the hospital and postpartum and conception, but becoming a mother, how we get there can be in so many different routes for so diff- so many different women. It all doesn't look the same. The journey to get there doesn't look the same. Um, the difficulties, the challenges don't look the same. Um, motherhood just looks different. And then on top of that, when you are a black mother, it adds an entirely different layer. So we get a good bit into that um, within season four. Great episodes ahead for you. The next thing I wanted to talk about um, is a, a off the wall random thing. So Hulu had this random show called False. No, it wasn't a show. It was a movie called False Positive. And I knew that it was going to be like a play on Rosemary's Baby. I loved Rosemary's Baby. I thought it was a classic. Um, I thought it was well done for its time. It's kind of like how you can view like an Alfred Hitchcock film. That's what I thought about Rosemary's Baby. Basically with Rosemary's Baby, if you never heard of it, was about this woman who got pregnant. Her and her husband moved into this new upscale apartment complex and she thought she'd gotten pregnant by her husband but really she gotten pregnant by satan and she was carrying satan's child however false false positive had somewhat of a, a resemblance of that but if you ever saw the movie with lakeith steinfeld called sorry to bother you you know it's a movie that's going to be artfully done has like some underlining message, but then somewhere in the film, it takes this hard left and you're just like, where am I? What is going on? That's what happened with False Positive. 
So like false positive starts out where it's talking about feminism and how the patriarchy has this idea of what pregnancy is for women and how they always try to pass things off as mommy brain and they don't listen to you and advocating for yourself and medical providers promising you dreams and then they don't live up to it and all of that stuff and you choosing your provider and XYZ. And then it just takes this turn where it becomes something that makes no sense at all. <laughs> so in some ways, I would say like, yeah, watch it. But in other ways, I'm like, no, save your time. Watch an old episode of Martin or Living Single instead or something. Like, I can't even say like, if there's nothing on television, watch False Positive, like while you're cleaning the house. No, it's just a waste of space. <laughs> like it was, I watched it so you don't have to, basically. Okay, so two more things. Um, the first one is if you got the newsletter from last week, I put a link to Ava DuVernay's interview for the podcast, um, How I Built This with Roz. I love that podcast for any entrepreneurs um, that are just listening to or like listening to the stories of how companies and startups become to be what they are. It is a great, great, great podcast. Um, but so they had R. DuVernay on there and I feel like it was one of the best podcast episodes I've ever listened to. Um, something that I had thought was that she didn't pick up a camera until she was 37, I think I had heard. So all of this time I felt like she had stumbled into directing movies when in reality what I learned from the podcast episode was that she'd been around the business pretty much all of her career because she did PR for production companies and for films and through you know screenwriting and and whatnot she ended up like self-funding some of her movies and she got attached to Selma and she had to work on Selma with a 20 million dollar budget which sounds like a lot of money but really it was kind of pennies because it was a um, period piece and it's a lot of money to do the costuming and backdrops and all of that stuff um, and Lee Daniels was attached to the role before but because of the budget he dropped out so she had this challenge of being able to make it work and look what Selma was and from there things just took off. And in the episode, she also gave some clarity to something that I didn't quite understand. She directed A Wrinkle in Time, which is one of my favorite childhood books, but I didn't love the movie. And I was sad to say that I didn't love the movie because I love Ava DuVernay. And it was a big deal because she was a female black director of a big budget Disney film. But what I learned from the interview was that she really didn't have creative control over that movie if anything all of the investors and the higher eds basically said this is what we want this is what we want to look like and she did it so it was she said in so so some sort of way that although she had the title of the director she really didn't have the control that a director had and you can tell because the aesthetic and the visuals of A Wrinkle in Time looks so different than how Selma looks, Queen Sugar looks um, when they see us. You know, she has a style like Spike Lee has a style, I feel like. So that made a lot of sense to me. Um, but another huge takeaway from that interview is she talked about her mother and her mother being a single woman who did not have a lot of money. And in some ways, it seemed like her mom 
had dealt with like low self-esteem or maybe even some depression because of the circumstances in which she had to be this black mother in Compton raising these little black girls with not much income by herself. And what made her feel good was that she would dress Ava and her sisters up in like their Sunday best, have them all greased and shiny with their hair done and looking just beautiful little girls. And she would take them to the grocery store and maybe not even have money to buy groceries or buy much. She may have gone in there to just buy like one single item, but it was very validating for her because every time she went, people would comment on how well her girls looked. And that reassured her that she was doing a good job as a mother and made her feel like, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing well. That was kind of like, um, like a token put in her jar to reassure her that she was doing the best that she could. And she had these beautiful girls as proof of that. I thought that that was huge and that really resonated with me. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is an article I'm going to put in the show notes, but um, Black Love Doc also has a show called Doula Dads. And in some ways, um, Doula Dads can feel somewhat far removed because a lot of the fathers that are on the show are celebrities um, like Sterling K. Brown and some other wealthy, affluent um, fathers. And they basically talk about how they show up for their wives and show up um, as a father and how fatherhood is important, which is also a great message. And I don't want to take away the fact just because they have a celebrity status or finances. Um, But they did have a father on there who wasn't a celebrity and who has started a black father doula program um, where he trains fathers, partners to be able to be educated and the entire process of labor and delivery, and also how to support the mothers when they are in labor and delivery so that they can advocate for her. They can be, you know, just an anchor for her as she's going through the process and also help reduce the mortality rate because the birthing parent would have someone that's there for them to speak up for them, to ask the questions and to be able to make sure that they're getting everything that they need and that they're heard. And It was on Good Morning America, and I remember watching the interview, and that just resonated with me so much. And even to circle back around to at the beginning of the day's episode when I was talking about how it's been feeling really heavy to me lately to be a black woman, I felt like that was a glimmer of light um, to be able to see how we're suffering in so many ways and for somebody to recognize that and say, here is how I can contribute. This is what I can do. This is how I can help. This is how I can be a service to my community and get other fathers and dads and partners to get on board. And I feel like there's so much negativity on social media of people who have these platforms of talking negatively about women and this is why you don't have a husband or this is why you can't have a successful life. It's nice to see a reflection that is something that's good. Like, this is how I can be your backbone. This is how I can protect you. This is how we can enrich our families and sustain them. And I love it. I'm here for it. I support it. I think this young man has an amazing vision 
And however, I can donate to it, offer my services, spread the word, let's franchise it, put it in every city, every state. I think it is amazing. And I think so many other partners, fathers need to be a part of this. Like this is a big deal. And I think it would do so much for so many families. So that is today's show. (laughs) Um, Season four is fire. I have some amazing guests, some amazing episodes that are coming your way, interviews. I cannot wait for you to listen to all of them. And um, if you're not following me, follow me on Instagram at pushthroughmom. Um, Or you can also check us out on the website at pushthroughmom.com. And um, we are having our newsletter where you can follow as well with everything that's going on. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Check us out every Wednesday for a new episode to drop. And email me if you have any questions. If you feel like you have an idea for a topic for me to be able to cover. If you even just have like comments. Um, Also, subscribe, share, send this to all of your friends, and review, drop a review um, on how you feel. And until next time, keep pushing. Used to spend my nights out in the ballroom. But you rescued me from reaching for the bottom And brought me back Being too far gone You're as smooth As Tennessee whiskey